today on Ag News Daily. Really what you kind of wanted to do is really run tandem, where you're killing as much as you're fatting, where you have a little le- little extra carried over each day carcass-wise, where you don't you know, completely run to zero. But with that being said, it's just labor. I mean, I don't, I personally think that it'd be extremely tough to be a new packer, to come in here and try to compete with major packers around here already. Good morning, Ag News Daily listeners. It's Cassidy Zirkle here, joined by Tanner Winterhoff, and we're excited to get started this morning. How are you, Tanner? I'm good. A little uh, little tired, like I said, over here, making sure I get myself a little bit smarter throughout this week, so a lot of learning, a lot of focusing. Is it hot where you're at in Missouri? It is. Last week, people were complaining about the heat, and Austin and I were both like, this is not real heat, folks. It's going to be all right. This week... <laughs> It's real heat. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I uh, I don't think we need to actually report on it, but there is no secret here in a lot of the portion of the United States. We are experiencing our first taste of the year of some of these hotter temperatures. Yes, sir. It is officially summer, which is actually some bad news for Yellowstone because their tourism is just now ramping up and they've been hit by damaging mudslides and flooding in their national park, forcing evacuations of all of their visitors in most of the neighboring towns. Really? I had no idea that that was where some of those storms were coming and hitting through. That uh, That's too bad. Yeah, we've, we've heard about high winds, and we've heard about some big hailstorms, but hadn't thought about that side of it before. Yes, sir. It looked, The videos are terrible. You can see whole buildings floating down their rivers and roads and bridges being washed out. The park has said that they will be closed at least until today, so we'll see if they open up at all today. But they predict that their north entrance may be closed for the rest of the summer. Dang, I know that a lot of our listeners have done family vacations there. It's it's a beautiful place to go see, uh, so it'll be nice to get some updates there. But I'll tell you what, we'll head over to the White House. Top Republicans in the House are urging the Biden administration to change its approach to energy and agricultural policies. So they put a letter together to President Joe Biden this week, uh, urging him that the situation that we are currently facing started long before Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They claim that the current administration has failed to take serious actions to increase the American agricultural production and its trade partner relations. So this came from a uh, top Republican in the House Ag Committee, the Republican out of Pennsylvania, Thompson, the House Minority Leader, uh, Kevin McCarthy out of California, the Minority Whip, Steve out of Louisiana, and Elise, who's serving as the Republican Conference Chair. So they put the letter together saying that they need to address farm input costs, they need to halt changes to the water of the United States or WOTUS, they need to ensure that the EPA refocuses on sound science. And we also need to end erroneous climate rules. So trying to get President Biden's attention, at least to start off with, with a letter from a few top Republicans. Well, Tanner, I read an article about a way that would probably get his attention. It's kind of a recap from uh, or a memoir from an older man that was part of the Tractorcade in 1979 where hundreds and thousands of tractors drove across the country into D.C. as a form of protest about the policies against agriculture. So I wonder if farmers are getting fed up enough to try something like that again. 
huh, you know, we just had a trucker strike within the last 12 months. Um, I would be curious to see if those who went on that trucker strike felt that it was successful or not. But I, you know, until you brought that article up, had forgotten about the tractor cade. However, I wonder what their fuel prices were back then. Because, you know, we, Cassidy, are seeing record high fuel prices. But according to AAA, says that high gasoline prices are not deterring drivers yet. So record gas has reduced the demand for summer driving or hasn't it? So according to the data from the American Automobile Association, better known as AAA, reports that regular gas prices on Tuesday hit a record of an average of $5 and uh, two cents per gallon. That automotive industry says that's up from 4.47 a month ago. Premium gas was up to 5.69, up from 5.11 a month ago. Even though that diesel prices have now pushed to 5.77 versus 5.56, and despite lawfully prices, they're saying based on demand, it seems like the high prices have not deterred drivers. Okay, according to Andrew Gross spokesperson for AAA. He says, however, if prices stay at or above $5, he would expect to see people change their daily driving habits. But domestic gas inventories fell by 800,000 barrels to 218 million last week, while demand grew by 220,000 barrels to 9.2 million. So uh, we are surprisingly seeing demand stay higher, even with gas prices being high. Well, Tanner, I will tell you something that may deter my demand on gas is the rising increase in gas theft. Multiple reports have been shown of thieves taking gas and diesel from gas stations themselves and drilling holes in fuel tanks to take them out of cars. Directly out of a car. So I was expecting you to take that article to on-farm storage. I know a lot of conversations that I've had with producers are either adding security cameras or trying to protect the on-farm storage of their bulk fuel. Yes, sir. I even saw an article talking about the increase of off-road fuel that farmers use. So that also will decrease probably farmers driving because even their farm diesel is not as cheap as it used to be. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'll tell you what is not as cheap as it used to be, and that is interest rates for borrowing money. So we we over here at uh, this banking conference for the week have put a lot of focus on the Federal Reserve's meeting. So the Federal Reserve went into session yesterday, uh, and they will come out today with their announcement. Uh, it was expected prior to going into this meeting for the Fed to raise their Fed funds target rate by a half percent. However, on Monday, the numbers that they take a look at, I think if our listeners remember uh, the last time I reported on this, there are many pieces of consideration. We look at the unemployment levels, we look at GDP, we look at inflation, and they take a whole bunch of those factors into consideration and then move their rate as suggested. So in March, they hiked their rate a quarter of a percent. In May, they moved it up a half percent. And the expectations is that they were going to move it a half percent today. However, there are a lot more 
anticipations of that rate moving to three quarters of a percent. That comes mainly, Casty, because of the high inflation number that came out, that we are now above 8%, depending upon how you look at that. And it may result in a three quarter percent hike, a need for speed clamp down on inflation, as this article states. So indeed, we're looking at 8.6 up from 8.3 on the inflation side. We still have the war going on in Ukraine. But an interesting thing that I like looking at is called the Fed Funds Watch Tool. And it is based on the equities in the market that are trading this overnight rate. So the current target rate is 75 basis points. I told you it went up a quarter in uh, one month and up 50 in the next. So right now, the odds on based upon the equities is that we will have just a 75 basis point swing. 95% of the equities are in that category while only 4% are in a half percent move. So a big, a bigger jump there, and Cassie, how that affects our listeners is this is the overnight rate that banks borrow between each other, which ultimately changes into affecting any variable rate operating note or home equity line of credit. So if they go up three quarters of a percent and farmers have an operating loan tied to uh, an adjusting rate, I would expect that to go up three quarters of a percent as well. Yes, sir. That's honestly terrible news. I've seen a lot of tweets talking about the millennial dream lately, saying the millennial dream is a housing market crash. And although I would hate for our economy to get even worse, that is personally my dream for the housing market to come down. Oh, if we have more time sometime, we will have a discussion about what real interest rates are. Um, because right now, even though rates are rising, it's still a really cheap environment to borrow because inflation is greater than the interest rate. So if, if your asset is continuing to inflate in value faster than the rate in which you are charged interest, you're still ahead. Even though rates have gone up and asset values are high, if they're still continuing to climb, it's a negative real interest rate. And uh, I know that might be a little bit over the head of certain individuals. The, the catch 22 with that is when does inflation start to slow back down? Yes, sir. I will definitely try to get you to explain that to me a little more in depth when Austin and I try to buy a house in Seattle later this year. But I will tell you something else that is a rising cost for farmers right now is the cost of keeping flea hoppers and aphids off of the cotton blacklands in Texas right now. So because the spray for flea hoppers often attracts aphids, something that extension agents are suggesting is to mix two different types of sprays so that they don't attract other insects that could harm their crop right now as it's putting on fruit. Flea hoppers. I think that's the first time I've heard that term. I've heard of grasshoppers. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting to see where insect pressure and what type of insects come in these crops <clears throat> around the country. But Last piece of news that I have today, Cassidy, is the head of the U.S. Meat Export Federation says that there is an Ocean Shipping Reform Act bill that is being sent to the president for consideration. So this should serve to export, this should serve to incentivize export logistics models to become more prioritized. So as you know, we've got several container ships that 
or several ports that are backed up with container ships, whether it is a backlog doing dear due to being able to get them unloaded and trucking shortages to get containers moved, or we can't get our products to the port for export. So the bill is set to ease this backlog. They say the priority is, or what they want to have a priority is products going out. So exporters, they right now are disappointed that there are a lot of empties being sent out on ships and they would like to see the priority be to US products coming in and products going out and less priority on empty containers returning. So it's hard to think about this in the big global scheme of things, Cassidy, but the bill has significant support. The US House voted 369 to 42 to approve the version that the Senate had already uh, put together. So it's now headed to President Biden's desk. The American Farm Bureau President, Zippy Duvall, says he estimates that $25 billion in ag exports were lost in the last six months because of op ocean shipping constraints. And the biggest industry affected right now is refrigerated or cooled because we don't have a consistent schedule for them to ship and export goods. Yes, sir. I had touched on that article just a little bit on Monday, knowing that it was awaiting its voting. And it, I'm sure a lot of people are happy to hear that it's passed and is going to President Biden's desk. However, I would really love to get someone from a port on the podcast to talk a little bit about their insight on that bill and how they feel about it. So if any of our listeners out there are working in a port or imports and exports, we would love to have you all on. Absolutely. I think that'd be a great idea for a guest. Well, Tanner, what are the markets looking like? <laughs> yeah, so as we sit here uh, this morning, it is mixed across the board. So corn, July opened three cents down. December opened three and a quarter cents down. That was July contracts at 765, December at 715. Uh, soybeans, July contract opens four cents down at 1694. November is coming in at uh, a three and three quarter cents up at 1529. Wheat across the board is still down a little bit in the overnight opening uh, with front month at 1047 and December at 1078. Soybean meal up cotton, as you were discussing, is mixed. Now we get into the meats, live cattle is uh, had a strong overnight opening their June contract at 135 and 20 cents. August is at 134 and seven cents. Feeder cattle is down overnight just a quarter and lean hogs are trading up. So not a bad overnight for producers in the agricultural community. It'll be interesting to see how this week continues to progress. Yes, sir. Thank you for that update on the market opens this morning. Let's hop into our interview with Bryson Wright about the new packing plant coming to Amarillo, Texas. Good morning, listeners. This is Cassie Zirkel, joined with Tanner Winterhoff. Excited to introduce our guest today, Bryson Wright. Bryson, how are you this morning? Hey, doing great. This good morning. Thank you for joining us. So to start it off, can you just give our listeners a little bit of your background in agriculture, where you've been, where you're going, and where you're at today? 
Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a Panhandle native here from uh, Amarillo Canyon, Texas. You know, started from the ground up, I guess, feed yard world, and um, from cleaning out water tanks to, to everything else up above. And uh, had been fortunate to work for uh, some several big companies. Uh, did cattle procurement for free owned industries, um, and then uh, traded options futures for them as well. And you know, with the procurement side, it was uh, a lot of logistics. Uh, it was on the buy side, uh, kind of summaries monthly summaries as far as you know how cattle were feeding kind of how they were closing out and uh anyways from there ended up on the packing side of the house and uh went to work for cabinets beef packers uh as a sales associate and then went on to uh, manage be their, their boneless beef manager at their idaho plant in kuna idaho uh, and so and then we managed that from uh, their corporate office here in amarillo texas and uh, that was uh, just a great experience and a lot of fun, and um, and obviously was able to see a lot of volatility in the market. And uh, but uh, and then now recently, I've uh, kind of went on private, privately, and just doing some private consulting, and just still based here out of Canyon, Texas. You sound like the perfect person to talk about the potential new packing plant going around Amarillo. So we had reported on that. Oh, it's been a couple weeks ago. But it was exciting. The article we came across was the city council had approved some incentives for a potential 1,100-acre site. What kind of local news do you have around that private packing plant? Yeah, so that's that's the big buzz uh, everywhere. Uh, you know, we heard about it last night in several conversations. You know, folks that are uh, coming into town uh, that are partnering on this or uh, whatever it is their interest is. It, it is a it's definitely, um, there's a lot of conversation, especially here locally, um, you know, and just uh, folks are really thinking that it's going to have a positive impact, kind of some price discovery and some just uh, transparency uh, in the beef packing world. So, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of talk about it. Everybody's pretty bullish about it. Now, Bryson, I know just from the people I've heard talking about it, some of the really big guys like Mike Smith and men like them are kind of uh, shying away from this idea of the new packing plant. Why do you think that is and what's the different perspective they have? Yeah, so obviously I I can't speak for those guys. I know on my side of the house, what I've learned really quick is it's not necessarily an inventory problem as far as cattle problem. It's a labor issue. Uh, any packing plant right now post COVID is really they're labor driven. So you can harvest, you can have as many cattle bought in your pocket, but it doesn't mean that your harvest can, uh, you got the labor to harvest that many. And then especially for your fab to keep up with your harvest, because really what you kind of wanted to do is really run tandem where you're killing as much as you're fabbing, where you have a little, le- little extra carried over each day, carcass wise, where you don't you know completely run to zero, but, um, with that being said, it's just labor. I mean, I don't, I personally would think that it'd be extremely tough to be a new packer to come in here and try to compete with uh, major packers around here already and to get that labor. And if without the good labor, you're not yielding the same. And if you can't yield the same, then you're not actually, you know, you can't get that the same value per head that the other packer can. And then therefore you're kind of, you're basically losing money. So it's really labor-driven for me. Is used to be my biggest concern. Right, and and I would say we've also reported on a lot of that same issue. You know, there's going to be extra scrutiny for uh, COVID-type processes in place going forward. 
we've also heard of a couple of these private packing plants going up. I think there was one in the Dakotas and another one, maybe the Ohio or Michigan direction, uh, which is, which is good to hear. Like you said, we're, we we want to push for more price transparency, but um, I was wondering, since you know what Amarillo's economic condition is, is do you think there, this is a viable option, a viable opportunity based upon the current labor pool, or is there going to have to be extra work done to make sure this plant gets fully staffed? Yeah, it's going to, there's going to have to be extra work done. I mean, you've got uh, packers here now that, you know, that are already talking about uh, not killing or fabbing on Saturdays, you know, baking it a five-day week just because of labor. And so when you have your main big packers that are already established, already have, uh, you know, these workers there and they're having issues. What do you think a new unproven packer is going to, you know, have to struggle with? There's a lot of hurdles there. And yeah. And then of course with inflation and everything else, I mean, everybody's already raising their, their labor fees, you know, and just, just to try to keep up with inflation. And I mean, it's to the point where, you're you're starting a somebody that's never been in a beef packing house at 18 to 20 bucks an hour i mean just imagine what you're paying your skilled boners and stuff i mean it's it's extremely hard to compete with now besides the fact that they're going to have to compete with giants in the market and everything how do you think this is going to affect the giant feed yards and the little feed yards up there in the panhandle and surrounding areas well uh i mean it's i think it's gonna it's hard to say as far as, uh, I don't know if it's going to help or hurt. I mean, these, I, there's no, there's no way of knowing, um, you know, anytime that you have another outlet to go with, with cattle, I mean, it does help the market. It, uh, you know, and it, but at the same time, it sounds like this deal, maybe it's going to be kind of private. I don't know if they're just letting, it sounds like they're already going to be kind of a show was made for it a year out. So, uh, I think you're just, it sounds like it's just going to be these individual players that are invested in it. You know, they're going to have access to it at first. Like a co-op. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's going to be like a co-op. And now granted you are taking cattle, uh, you know, finished cattle out, out of the, uh, out of the inventory that's going to Cargill, going to Tyson, going to these other packers. So you are taking some out of there. So it's just, it'd be just like a, you know, like when the Tyson plant caught on fire and all of a sudden, you know, that, that threw such a wave in the market. I don't know if this will be the same effect, but at the same time, if you're, you know, if they're doing a thousand head a day, 2000 head a day, well, all of a sudden you're looking at five, 10,000 head of fats a week that are going to a new source. And so that's going to, that's going to change, you know, your cash basis and everything else. That's going to give a, I don't know if it's going to hurt it or help it, but it's, there's going to be an impact from it for sure. Right. So my last question is more of an industry outlook type question with you being kind of in the business and your consulting role. What do you think it looks like? Are we, we, we've, we've heard about really dry conditions, pushing some cow herds back to reserves. We've, uh, we've heard of some stocker sales uh, just due to feed shortages. Obviously feed costs have gone up. What's your finger on the pulse for what the cattle industry looks like here coming up the next six months? Yeah, so you know, obviously you're, you're exactly right. You've got your your drought liquidations to the northwest, where everybody's all of a sudden they're not retaining those heifers either. They're selling their their replacement heifers. Their you know everything's is getting sold. So you've got your drought liquidation, and then you, across the southeast, you all have your guys that instead of feeding you know 
high dollar corn, they'd rather grow high dollar corn. And so they're starting to plow up the grazing land, you know, and, and I guess kind of the data on that always shows they don't just return back the next year. That uh, it's, you know, it's back at 10 years, have a decade turnaround before you'll see those producers back in the game. So now you have those guys that are selling out just to you know, cash in on commodities, and then you've got your liquidation. So you're about to, this well's going to dry up as far as whether it's your cow numbers, bull numbers, whatever, and that's going to have to start going into the fed side of the house, your fed cattle, and uh, you're going to see a big, I think there's going to be a big demand, and it's going to, I mean, you, you might see live cattle go past two bucks, you know, I mean, it, it could change everything, who knows. Well, Bryson, it has been great talking to you this morning and learning a little bit from your your point of view and your perspective to put all of this news in our head and help us understand it a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, guys. You bet. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Well, Cassidy, that was interesting perspective. I'm glad that we got somebody who was boots on the ground for that topic. I had. In the back of my mind, thought about labor as being a constraint, but kind of forgotten about how just important that is. Yes, sir. I think that's an important topic that he brought up that not, not a lot of people have thought about how they're going to have to pull employees from other packing plants up there or pull them from somewhere else in the state or the country to fill this new plant. Yeah, I, I wondered and I wish I had more information on packing plants is to see just how much more automation can be introduced if a new packing plant can reduce labor, but we do have the number as to how many people are expected to come and fill this one. So another good interview, another good guest, Cassidy, thanks for putting that together. But wouldn't you say for now, is it time to let the listeners go? Let's let them go. <laughs>